We run almost 9,000 stores, but we like to call ourselves convenience ecosystem because on top of the stores, we also have a set of other businesses which are digital, which encircle the Polish consumers and all together they you know, serve different convenience related missions. This digital translation is not a gimmick, it's not something that is 10 years away. It's actually creating results here and now. Any company at the moment that is not on top of the digital game will or have a high risk of being uh, disrupted and uh, being effectively out of the market. I think the most important value that I, that I actually use is hard work. Right? That without the hard work, the talent will not get you anywhere. I know plenty of super talented people that failed or didn't achieve to their potential because of lack of hard work. This is here on TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Tomasz Blichacki, who is the executive VP, board member, and managing director of Sapka Future at Sapka in Polska. A very warm welcome, Tomasz. Hi, Henrik. Great to be here. Tomasz, you have a master's degree in finance from the Warsaw School of Economics and a postgrad in business from Stanford University. You started your career in 2007 in private equity at a company called Mid-Europa Partners. And you start working for Zabka as, uh, as their CFO in 2015. So Thomas, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How the hell do you go from private equity to uh, uh, leading a role in a, in a retailer with a focus on digital transformation and uh, turning the business around? Who are you? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, indeed. Uh, I've changed my career at least once uh, before. So mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, graduated from finance. I, I went to London, worked in London in finance. Uh, I've moved to investment side of the uh, of the equation and spent uh, quite a bit of uh, time on the on the investment side. Within that role, mm -hmm. I was uh, responsible for, among other, retail investments in the region, and um, the fund I worked with, which is the leading fund in Central and Eastern Europe focused on so-called private equity investments, uh, acquired Jabka. So within that, yep. I became the board member of Jabka, part of a supervisory board, and, uh, and I spent mm -hmm. uh, four years there uh, while the company has been growing and changing. At some point, uh, it was visible that some additional changes will be required to make the company successful over the longer period of time, and that's where I mm -hmm. kind of came, let's say, down to the managerial role, to the board level of the company, management board level. And uh, I've mm -hmm. become part of the you know, new team that uh, started to make these changes. And uh, that's, that's yeah. how I changed my career for the first time. I was the CFO, I was responsible for you know, change of the company, as well as running the finance and, uh, and, and other uh, areas. And uh, within that capacity, I liked it so much because at the first it was an interim role, that I'd say it stayed over. Mm -hmm. And uh, why I liked it so much? Because I was fascinated by the fact that a manager makes so many different decisions uh, every single day, and that these decisions, mm -hmm. altogether, they can lead the company to somewhere, you know, to being somewhere completely else where it currently is. 
This is unlike the, on the investor side, where you make relatively fewer decisions, but each of them have great financial value. I like this way of mm -hmm. operating more than the investment, investment side of the equation. And that's how the yeah. journey started. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, we soon realized that on top of you know, improving the company operationally, opening more stores, making these stores better, changing the organization, we can actually change it also using digital tools, digital, transform it digitally. So this is what happened okay. in, uh, started happening in 2016, 2017, where we kind of see that there is a lot of value to be created uh, for the shareholders, for the, all the uh, stakeholders of the company uh, through that, using these tools. So Tomas, tell me a little bit more about Zabka. I mean, it's, it's a very well-known brand in, in, in Poland, but not in the rest of the world. So Zabka is, is a retail uh, chain, is that correct? Yes, it is. We run uh, almost 9,000 stores, but we like to call ourselves now convenience ecosystem because on top of the stores, mm -hmm. almost 9,000 stores, we also have a set of other businesses which are digital, uh, which encircle the Polish consumers. And altogether, they you know, serve different convenience-related missions through that set of uh, services. Okay. And you're in the middle of a store right now, and this is a, is a kind of a revolutionary store. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Indeed. Uh, I'm in a store, as you can see from my background, but it's not a traditional store. It's a store of uh, one of the, it's actually one of the, one of the kinds. It's not only an autonomous store, so a store in which there's no physical checkout process. You enter with a credit card or an app, you pick up the goods and you leave, but also it's uh, partially mm -hmm. robotized. Actually, Jabka, the older Jabka stores, are famous for Jabka Cafe. And the hero product of Jabka Cafe is a hot dog. And in our pursuit of uh, automation and robotization, we actually figure out how can we uh, serve these products in stores which do not have uh, physical personnel, typically. And that's how we kind of uh, created a robot uh, that uh, prepares hot dogs. It's the only one so far in our chain, but we're already kind of uh, exploring that further. And uh, it's actually a, a huge success. It not only does almost 200 mm -hmm. hot dogs per day, uh, but also it created a lot of uh, interest from, um, you know, from the media and also from, from the public. There are actually queues of people outside who are looking at these, not only buying the hot dog, but also looking how it's, it, they're being prepared. It's a very special process. And it helped us to promote mm -hmm. uh, the Jabka Nano chain uh, and the new way of shopping among the consumers. Okay, great. So we're an automated stone with a hot dog robot, and we're going to talk about the well, the digital transformation and the change you and the team have, have uh, implemented in, in in Zapka. So if we look back a couple of years ago, what was really what what, what are the drivers for change in in, in Zapka and, and in general? What are the drivers for change in retail nowadays? And and what is it that retailers need to do to stay to, to stay relevant and to, and to grow their business yeah i mean this is a great great question ahead of what when we started our digital transformation um we you know as a senior team went to many different places around the globe to kind of inspire ourselves right and uh, we mm -hmm. have seen that in many of these uh places 
retail has been vastly disrupted, right? You look, uh, you know, we went to Silicon Valley to, uh, to the US and we see how non-food retailers were affected by the newcomers, by startups, by new ways of, uh, you know, of providing services to the customers. And uh, that made us think on, you know, how can we build our business, you know, over the long term? And how can we be successful over the long term? And we felt that mm -hmm. even though we were not disrupted by anyone here in Poland, we felt that we have to, in a way, disrupt ourselves and think, you know, in the longer term to actually stay competitive, stay, uh, stay, stay winning. And uh, as part mm -hmm. of that, you know, digital transformation was, 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 the key, was effectively key to that, right? Yeah. And uh, I believe that any retail, well, in, in a way, any company at the moment that is not on top of the digital game will or have a mm -hmm. high risk of being uh, disrupted and uh, being effectively out of the market in the you know, next fi five to, to 15 years. So that's the culture, mm -hmm. uh, that's the strategic plan that we have created and we have been implementing starting from 2017. Okay, so that's the why. Uh, the why is you don't want to, to be disrupted, so you need to disrupt the industry itself by implementing a new, new ways of working, new ways of serving uh, the, the clients. So then let's move to the what. What is it exactly that you did? I understood that, I understand that you kind of split the company in, in, in Zabka Traditional and Zabka Future. Is, is that the way that you went for it? Yeah, look, even before that, I mean, let's take one step back. I mean, mm -hmm. you can, uh, okay. ch digital has, and you know, it's gonna be very kind of uh, consultant-like, but digital transformation <laughs> can have either of the two impact on the business. You can either increase revenue mm -hmm. or decrease costs, right? period, right? So you can uh, do digital transformation either to optimize the way you operate inside the company to be more efficient, or you can create mm -hmm. new businesses or revenue lines to effectively increase your top line, right? And uh, we started first on this efficiency side. And, uh, and we started on the efficiency side because we wanted first to have results sooner, uh, to have a buy-in buy of, the, of the entire team, because it's not only the senior team has to have a buy-in to digital transformation, but sometimes even more importantly, all the managers in the company need to have a buy-in, right? So that's why we started yeah. with something that uh, would, on the efficiency side, which have results relatively sooner than later. And we also okay. kind of pre-selected things that um, would have a rather, you know, sizable impact so that everyone sees that, right? So we actually yeah. started digital transformation with data analytics and using machine learning and AI. And uh, we have mm -hmm. effectively um, started with use cases which are relatively close to the core of the business, uh, but uh, also have a lot, plenty of data around it so that even, let's say, small change could produce a sizable visible impact, right? So we started with pricing, we started with assortment selection, we started with new location search. So we use data to mm -hmm. improve uh, these uh, areas of the company. So when we introduced the, you know, the new approach to pricing, you know, we were able to increase our sales and our margin at the same time. That created a big buy-in of the entire team. Then we differentiated the assortment between the different store types using the data approach. That, again, that was a big success. And finally, we're able uh, to open new stores 
much better stores because we, we use the data to, to achieve that. But also, importantly, people who do that could focus on select areas where it, you know, the, the data suggests that it makes sense to open potentially. And therefore, we are able mm -hmm. to increase the speed of expansion quite significantly. Actually, we doubled it from 500 to 1,000 stores per year. So with that, that, that built a foundation for us that we believe that this new way of, you know, operating the, the digital transformation is not a gimmick. It's not something that is 10 years away. It's actually creating results mm -hmm. here and now. And based on that, we started to create businesses. We started to create products for the consumers, right? So the first product was the Japka app. So the consumer app mm -hmm. that, uh, that we launched uh, in 2018, 2019. Um, it was, a, it was um, you know, the idea behind this Let's create a digital product that would effectively connect us better with younger consumers, right? So it, we called it digital engagement platform, right? It included specialized offers, in, included the new loyalty program around it. It included, you know, over time, several different services that are targeted, are targeting the consumers. And it became an immediate mm -hmm. success, right? The millions of people downloaded the app, the, you know, uh, more than 3 million uh, monthly active users now, up to 1 million daily active users. You know, people, younger generation, all of them collect the loyalty points, which we call JAPS. And uh, there is a hype around it. They all want these individualized offers to, you know, then they go to mm -hmm. stores. We see that the basket size of a consumer who enrolled and used the app is increased by 15%, right? So there is a, you know, there's a hype, there's connection, but there is a material business impact from all of that. And that we, when, once we launched that, which, which was still under the old, uh, let's say, structure, uh, we realized that mm -hmm. in order to make two, three steps ahead, we have to change the structure so that, in a way, create, we create um, organization that has left and right hand. Left hand is effective, oh, sorry, right hand, that's maybe better is focused on day-to-day -day business, running the stores, mm -hmm. and the left hand is focused on building these longer-term value through, use of, through, through building the digital businesses. And with that, we were able okay. to uh, be the, become quickly the leader in Europe in uh, autonomous stores. We have uh, 50 stores at the moment. Amazon is number two in Europe. We have more, actually, uh, autonomous stores in Poland than Amazon has in the US. Uh, which is, you know, the company uh, that, which is something that probably Amazon is not aware of, but we're proud of that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we were able to become leaders in quick commerce, which we launched a year ago, uh, where, whereby we lead the market with, with two brands. And uh, we were able uh, to acquire some of the companies, because I still remember my, my kind of former background, to, uh, in direct-to-consumers uh, uh, space in food, and they were leaders in that. So with that, we, we created this ecosystem that I've mentioned uh, originally. And that was uh, possible because uh, we were able to kind of change the structure as well. Okay. So let's unpack all of that because there's a lot to talk about, right? So you started, in fact, thinking as a CFO. And you say, well, where can we optimize? Where can we do more with what we have, with the structure that we have? I mean, you said in your opening a thousand new stores a year, is that correct? Yeah, more than a thousand now. And, and only in Poland? Only in Poland for the moment. 
Okay. So and and so selecting these thousand spots uh, locations is of course very very important. Can you t give us a, a, a tell us a little bit more on how you optimize store location? How, how that program works? Yeah, you know uh, when you have now almost nine thousand existing stores, and uh, mm -hmm. you have uh, plenty of data points on on what surrounds them. And I'm giving an example, you know, what is the wealth of people living around the store? How many people passes in front of the store? Uh, you know, what are the points of interest close to the store? Uh, and there are, you know, there are actually 3,000 separate parameters for each of the stores. So, I mean, there is, there is more to be kind of uh, uh, unpacked here. But let's stop here for the moment mm -hmm. here. Then you have the perfect data set to effectively optimize on what you want to achieve, right? Because you can create a, you know, you can think about all the lookalikes that are out there, right? With so many data, right? So you have, a, you mm -hmm. have everything covered, every single possibility. With 9,000 stores plus the thousands of these data points for each, each of the store. So now when we go with all of that, you know, that we have, we, we effectively, in a way, using cloud computing and machine learning, we checked what the performance of, of a Zabka store be in every single address point in Poland. So eight point, we checked 8.7 mm -hmm. million address points in Poland, which is all of all there exists. And moreover, we have not only, well, we ch checked performance, but we have also overlaid the f any potential future cannibalization between these points. So, you know, it, it's like, a, think about it, like an imaginary exercise, like what would be if your stores were everywhere and we were affecting each other, right? And based on this, this, this huge map, we created hotspots, right? We created uh, heat maps mm -hmm. where it makes sense for us to open stores, where it makes sense to look for uh, potential locations. Because at the end of the day, looking for potential locations is, you know, you go to someone, there is a real estate out there. There is, you need to sign the lease contract, right? It's, it's a lot of uh, labor that has to happen, right? And uh, once we had always these data, the, the, the people in the expansion team could have focused on those locations, which made, you know, hypothetically using, you know, the, all this technology more sense. And then when we yep. opened the store, uh, you know, we checked what is the forecast you know, between what the system, you know, proposes as a forecast and then what is the reality. And they're very close to each other. It's like only a few percentage points of a difference. So over time, we become more and more reliant on this system, which enabled us to optimize the opening machine. And as I said, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the people could be more focused on a location, uh, on areas where it makes more sense. Uh, and therefore, we, we also kind of eliminate cognitive biases, which, you know, as you know, is always part of the uh, problem, right? So these two kind of, yep. uh, these two combined, they, they effectively create this, this great cocktail of over that, you know, in a way trans, uh, transfers into a result, which is the higher quality, less errors and better speed. And am I correct that the business model there of these 9,000 stores is that that is a franchise yeah. model that, that you run? So you, you lease the properties, you don't buy the properties, you lease them, and then you find, uh, find franchisors to, uh, to open the uh, open. The yeah, stores. exactly. We, we look at the location ourselves, we sign a lease, we look for franchisees separately 
franchisee, you know, has to accept a location, but you know, once we have the data and show them, look, this is how it's going to perform more or less. If you take it over, this is what the, the profit is going to be. I mean, it's, uh, it's much easier for them also to kind of, uh, to accept that. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's, I mean, and, and, and you plan to open a thousand every year for the, for the next coming years? I mean, years? Uh, I mean that, that you know, I think our white space is still considerable. I mean, Poland is, you know, wow. relatively big country, right? Uh, we have almost 40 million of people. Uh, we can still open quite a few more. That's what I can say. Let's go to the, to, to the app again. So you launched a couple of years ago. An app, it's, it was, it's not an e-commerce app. It's, it's not an app where I can buy stuff, but it's, it's a, basically uh, the, the main purpose is a, is a loyalty program for your, for your clients. How, how can you make a loyalty program sexy and attractive? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's quite a challenge. Right? Oh, yes. That's, that's something that, uh, that uh, you know, was on our mind when we were creating this. Look, I mean, the reason why it's uh, sexy and successful is first of all, you don't collect points, you collect jobs, which is like our own currency, right? Which you know, is a small difference, but it creates this buzz among the consumer, especially the younger consumers. Secondly, you can exchange these into some hero products of Jabka, right? So you can, you can, you can, you know, however little you have almost of these points, you, there's always something for you to exchange for, but there's always something additional for you to save, right? So, so, you know, there are, let's say, smaller rewards and the bigger rewards. And thirdly, it's not only the Jabka products that we, which you can uh, exchange it for, but you can also exchange the points itself. Actually, you can send the points to someone else, the jobs. If you have a, you know, a son, right, or, uh, or a daughter, you can you know, and, and, you, you, and, and the, you collected the jobs yourself. You can actually send them for them to have, so that, you know, they have a bigger pool, right? And, and they can spend more. And that's on one hand. And secondly, um, you can also exchange it for special causes. And I think this is super important mm -hmm. for us, right? Let me give you an example of what the super uh, special cause is. When the COVID started, we introduced the ability to donate points for hospitals. And the hospitals, you know, early in the COVID, they got uh, uh, items or, or money from us um, mm -hmm. only when the people donated. That created a huge yeah. wave of donations, right? Uh, you know, we, we were able to collect or donate millions in a span of a few weeks because people got really engaged into it. Uh, when the Ukraine uh, conflict started, we enable people to support uh, the Ukrainians, and uh, they were donating the, the the jobs as well. And there is just uh, you know two examples, but there is many more around this. So in a way, it's one of the few kind of loyalty schemes whereby you could not only do something for yourself, but also for the society, mm -hmm. which is you know extremely close to our business philosophy. Wow, that's I mean that's very impressive and. And, and, and what are the plans for the app? Because, I mean, a good app is like a toothbrush. It's something that you use every day. Yeah. So, so how can you, is, is this app becoming more and more of an ecosystem as well? Do you plan to, to, to build partnerships around that? What's the, what's the, uh, the goals there? Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, in my view, you always have to develop the app. You cannot stand still. If you're standing still, you're just falling behind the others, right? So obviously yeah. our you know, we, we plan and we constantly develop the app. So 
as I said, mm -hmm. initially you were uh, just the loyalty and some non-individualized offers. So like offers that are worth all for, for everyone, right? Over time, yep. we added additional services. Uh, for example, in Jabka stores, you can, uh, if you order a parcel online, typically online, uh, and uh, you, you know, from Amazon or from in Poland, it's Allegro typically, you can also pick it up in a Jabka store, right? We have this physical service, right? You go to a store, you, you know, you yep. give a QR code and then you pick up your parcel, right? Uh, we have included in the app ability to manage this, uh, also the returns from the use of the app, right? So that's, we added the feature, right? Additional feature to the app. We added a feature whereby, um, and that's also related to our, uh, you know, business philosophy, uh, you as a customer could uh, collect certain products which are close to expiry date. Uh, it's a little bit similar to like Too Good To Go or these kind of companies, right? Mm -hmm. Whereby the franchisees prepare these parcels and you don't know what's inside, but you can buy it at a discounted rate uh, from, from a stores, right? So we included this uh, possibility within our app. Um, we are also at the store I'm in, uh, the autonomous store. It's also, you can access it by using the app, right? So you, you can access mm -hmm. it either yeah. through credit card or if you have the app and we have the payment system, Jabka Pay, then you can also enter with the, with, with the, with a, so gradually, this app is becoming what we call central app for the ecosystem, right? And, uh, and we are thinking about going in the, that direction. Give more reasons to open the app for the consumer. Since it's already very popular, yeah. it also enables us to acquire new customers to our young businesses much, much faster and much cheaper, right? We have 9 million users. So, so in a way, if I open the Q-commerce business and we, put, we do a push notification to uh, all the, well, to the people which are in the range of the service, it's much easier for uh, them to get, you know, get to know these business and become our customers in the new businesses. So I think the, this is the direction we wanna, we, wanna, we wanna make with the app, to do more of that, add features for the customers, and also send to, for it to become the central, central piece of the ecosystem. Let's talk a bit more about the autonomous store, be, stores because that, I mean, that's really, really impressive that you in Poland have more autonomous stores than, than, than Amazon has in, has in the US today. So, so what is special, what is in the water in Poland that you do this, that you have these 50 stores? How, how come you're so far ahead of all the, the other retailers in, 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 in this space? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a combination of a few factors, right? So first of all, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we are the, you know, really innovative as a retailer, right? And we spotted this trend mm -hmm. and potential that autonomous stores bring quite early on in the, uh, in the game, right? So we started working on this uh, back in 2018, right? Uh, which, you know, was, you know, almost Very early. About four years ago, right? Uh, yeah. We then, uh, through our U.S. connections, invested in uh, Silicon Valley startup which prepares the core technology. So auto checkout technology, which is uh, purely based on deep learning technology, right? So it's, it's computer vision only. Uh, so we, we were early investors uh, in one of these startups. We, we selected them because we believe that they understand the problem and the complexity of it uh, the best from you know, a few startups we've uh, discussed with. 
And then we were, mm -hmm. because we were able to invest in them, we were able to effectively be very close to them and develop this technology, well, help them develop this technology, uh, provide them with the challenges that are around this technology. For example, it has to be very cheap to make it work, right? It cannot be overly complex, right? Many people went into sensor fusion technologies, including, I think, Amazon itself, uh, which is relatively expensive mm -hmm. because you have specialized cameras, you have shelf sensors, which cost a lot of money. And if we want to make this a useful and, uh, you know, something that is in real life, it has to be cheap, right? So that, that's why we kind of discussed with them, you know, it has to be camera only. You know, we have to make it work as a camera only solution. And because we were have such a great uh, cooperation, we were able to open, you know, internal pilot stores, you know, already in 2019, and then, you know, over time to, you know, polish this technology so that we were able to mm -hmm. go out to uh, real consumers uh, a year ago uh, in uh, mid-2021. Uh, so we opened our first store in 2021, and then we liked the buzz of the people. We loved the, the fact that people, the NPS that we have, we measure NPS on a daily basis, is around 80. It's the highest in um, wow. Polish retail, at least. That's what the, at least what, what we think, right? Because the consumers mm -hmm. love this way of shopping. Not all of them, of course. Uh, not all of them are, you know, technologically enabled. And uh, But those who shop in these stores, they absolutely love the experience. The freedom, the speed, it's re really kind of something that uh, that uh, that we felt, hey, if this if the consumer like it so much, we need to open more stores. Uh, we need to make sure that we fine tune the format, uh, that we exactly tailor it to the uh, to the consumer needs. And this is where we are now, right? Mm -hmm. We have 50 stores. Uh, we wow. uh, we know what consumers want. We know what are the issues with autonomous shopping. Because obviously there are issues as always, right? We, that we have to solve, and uh, we are, I think, I ahead of the pack uh, on that. And I believe that in the longer term, this technology can really be uh, something that will be embedded in, you know, many retail stores. Okay, and this uh, attracts a specific demographic, or this is for 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 everybody the, the, these kinds of uh, autonomous. Well, of course, it's stores. for everybody that has a credit card or debit card or our app, mm -hmm. right? So, but obviously not yeah. all the consumers are, you know, in, as, as inclined to use these, uh, let's say, devices uh, as frequent as some others, right? So if we look at our demographic profile of the consumers who actually shop, it's skewed toward the younger consumer, right? Uh, you know, the younger ones are, let's say, first adopters, and they're easier to kind of experiment and effectively go into stores like these, right? So compared yeah. to our, let's say, traditional store, all the stores that we have, right? The the, the Żabka Polska, you know, the skew is towards younger ones, right? So you, you, you have people 20, 20 something to 30 something that are, uh, let's say, uh, better represented compared to the older uh, demographics. But I think it's only a matter of time uh, before this this is equalized, right? But I can imagine, oh, in your traditional stores also have a kind of a social function, right? I mean, people go yeah. there and know who's running the, the business and they can have a chat and older uh, people again get out and, and have a coffee or a hot dog or whatever. And, uh, and so that aspect is, is not there anymore. So how do you see this? What is your personal vision of this? You're going to go to a 50-50 split in the future of 
of, of people-run businesses and, and autonomous businesses. Where do you see this going? At the moment, the format is tailored so that it complements the core business, right? So these stores mm -hmm. are smaller, uh, and uh, the break-even point, uh, given the lack of personal, is much lower. So we can open them in catchment okay. areas, as you know, using liter, uh, retail lingo, uh, where our regular stores would not work for certain for certain reason, right? We're able to open them yeah. in, uh, you know, on the high street, obviously, but also inside another store, right? And we have partnerships and we open inside other store. We can open it inside the office buildings or inside the hospitals uh, or schools or, or campuses, right? So in a way, in areas where uh, for a certain reason, there doesn't make sense to open our core format, right? So this is where we focus for the, for the moment, right? Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. over the longer period of time, once the technology matures and uh, the let's say customer uh, customer um, adaptation is, is is finalized, I can see this uh, being widespread. I can see, for example, being store, stores being run in a hybrid model in the near future, whereby uh, you know because all, all these stores are twenty four seven, right? Our regular stores are uh, yeah. you know have uh, timing limitations, right? So I can see stores uh, run in a hybrid mall. I can see, for example, that in a stores in a very high traffic location, uh, as opposed to adding additional, uh, let's say, employee, you may have the system to do part of the checkout. Uh, and then over the longer period of time, obviously, I, I see this as being uh, a mainstream technology. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, that's something that is still ahead of us. So... Before we go to the, uh, to the technology, the IT, the organization part of all this, uh, Thomas, I also understand that you have a, a direct-to-consumer uh, business as well, uh, started uh, in, in Poland also. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah, this is something that we acquired last year, two separate businesses that we acquired mm -hmm. last year. Uh, one is called Matchfeed and is direct-to-consumer market leader and producer of food. I'm going to go through what the, what, it, what the service is about. And the other one is dietly.pl, mm -hmm. which is the SaaS software provider and the marketplace for the same service. So we have two businesses mm -hmm. uh, and we're the definite market leader in that space. Now, what is it all about? Uh, think about it from the consumer standpoint. I want to have a healthy life. I want to feed myself well using organic uh, and healthy ingredients. But at the same time, I don't mm -hmm. want to go to store at all. I, I want to save time. I don't, wanna, I, I don't have time to go to the store. What I can do is I can download the app or go to the web page of one of these producers. And then I subscribe to a full meal diets, which are delivered to me every single day in the morning. And then part of that, I just heat up when I need to consume it. Part of that is I consume cold, you know, like salads or you know, mm -hmm. snacks, but part of that I, I kind of heat up. And, uh, and therefore, I don't spend any time almost on shopping. I have a sel vast selection of choice. Uh, Matchfit has more than 6,000 recipes, active recipes. Uh, so there is uh, no repetition. For every single meal, I have a selection of I have a choice. I have a selection. So I select, you know, among seven breakfasts, seven, you know, snacks, seven lunches day before, and then it's delivered to, to, my, uh, to my doorstep the next day. 
and it's all healthy, it's all organic. I know I'm not overeating. If I want to lose calories, mm -hmm. uh, lose kind of a weight, uh, I can select a program that will enable me to do that. And uh, this way of, let's say, eating has become really popular uh, in Poland. Uh, and obviously it was ex exacerbated by, by the pandemics, right? So mm -hmm. um, at any given moment of time, there are several hundred thousand people in Poland who live this way and use this service. And we were uh, actually, we love that, right? We love, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. very much uh, in the spirit of convenience, right? You make people life easier because of this. Uh, it's uh, also under the trend of healthy nutrition and uh, sustainable lifestyle, etc., which we loved as well. And uh, that's why we decided to go for it and uh, make these acquisi uh, acquisition and uh, for for these two businesses to become the you know integral part of our ecosystem. Wow! So it's everyday healthy food on your doorstep. Yeah. Uh, and then the, all the meals and the snacks uh, during the day. So it's different than the, let's say, the HelloFresh model where you then have to get it every week and cook it yourself. So it's a daily healthy yeah. uh, food delivery. Wow. Yeah, and people love it because uh, because of this different of this different uh, of the choice they have, right? Uh, and then there is no big need re required to prepare it, right? So you just you know heat it up in mm -hmm. the oven. Uh, or in the microwave, yep. uh, depending on, on the you know preferences, and uh, and that's it, voila, right? And then you have this choice, and then you know that everything is just being prepared, it's fresh, you know, the ingredients are balanced. So so in a way, you you know, in our busy lifestyles, there are only as many things as you can worry about, uh, as a you know as a person, and uh, that eliminates uh, one of the one of the things, right? That's why younger, yep. uh, white collar. Uh, People across the entire Poland, not only big cities, also small cities, uh, they uh, they effectively are users of uh, these services. So you and and and, and the teams at Subka, you have completely turned around the company. In fact, since 2015, when uh, when uh, private equity uh, uh, took over and, and changed management team, um, you you really innovated a lot with with digital uh, on on many different levels. Uh, on store location, on, on efficiency, on, on uh, reducing costs, but also on innovating new, uh, new ways of, of giving the customer convenience, delivering at home direct models, and so on and so on. So that means that you must have a very, very strong uh, IT and digital organization to, uh, to be able to do that. So I can imagine that you came from a more traditional one, and then you had to build up uh, uh, new skills, new capacities, to do that, so can you tell us a little bit the, uh, the the story, the journey that IT and digital has gone through the last uh, five years? Or so? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're 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 completely right in your assessment. It was a story of change. Um, uh, mm -hmm. We started. Uh, we always, uh, you know, we always as a company. I think we're a little bit ahead of some others with our IT, uh, but uh, mm -hmm. obviously the key kind of KPI there was. It has to be cheap and it has to work, right? I mean, using simple language, right? Many traditional organizations, mm -hmm. this is this is the the key way of running IT, right? So it has to function, right? Uh, so the systems uh, have a high availability, and uh, you have to, yeah. you know, the budget has to be under control, right? And that and that that was our organization as well, right? So over time, we went through a process whereby uh, separately 
to the next to the uh, original IT organization. We created the new digital organization that was reporting to me, mm -hmm. right? So, so to, in order to accelerate the change management, we create you know a position of chief, chief uh, digital officer, chief data officer. Uh, we created separate teams where, let's say, these translators between the technology to business, uh, and that was something that that was working for you know two years around uh, around the two year period. Mm -hmm. But then we decided once we kind of were progressing that it's better to work in a in a model to collapse the two right effectively and create the product teams yeah. uh, that uh, effectively are uh, composed from, you know, uh, from the, let's say, more of a digital-minded business people, as well as technology people. They work in a, in a product way, uh, agile product uh, way or type of organization. And, and obviously, they, their, their key focus is to deliver business value. So that's very cool. So, so, so you first of all, you kind of disrupt the IT and the digital function by creating completely new teams and, and they work on the innovation part and, and so on and so on. And then after a couple of years, you blend it, you integrate everything together and you reorganize it more by, 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 by product, by, uh, by, by programs, uh, one team for the app yeah. and, and, and so on, I can imagine. So tell us a little bit about the current uh, IT operating model. How is it? How is it? Uh, is, how is it organized? And you have still the different roles: CIO, CDO, and and, and so on. We do not have uh, the uh, typical IT department. I, we we actually in our company there is no the IT department officially. There is only technology department mm -hmm. because we wanted mm -hmm. it to be broader, right, than just you know typical IT, right. So within that this technology department, there are teams that are organized, you know, around products. Uh, and, uh, and and obviously we have platforms as well uh, b b below it, and the way they work, their 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 biggest let's let's say KPI is obviously to deliver, uh, uh, and, and it has to work, etc. But but their key KPIs is the business impact of what they create and what they deliver on, right? So if I create, let's say we introduced uh, the app for the franchisees to run their stores, right? Some years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So effectively, you know, we were thinking, okay, how can we make the franchisees' life easier? And they had different systems, right? So we said, okay, let's create an app for the franchisee, right? Uh, whereby in this app they could run, they could run the store from the app. So we created a team, uh, product team around this. We invited the franchisees. We did design thinking process with the franchisees who are the customers of the app, and then we launched yep. the MVP uh, uh, of the product. We then fine-tuned it with the franchisees, and that became the core of the product, right? Over time, we're adding features to this product. We're obviously making sure we're aligned with the franchisees as the customers, right, of that, uh, of that product. And we're developing uh, this, uh, this app. We, we developed the front end ourselves, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. on the back end, we put Salesforce, right? So we put Salesforce, which is the platform that we use for to manage the processes uh, in the operational part of the company, right? So in a way, we, I mean, I give you this example is a perfect example how we work, right? We create apps on platforms, right? And we expand platforms to effectively uh, be able to uh, effectively eliminate the technological debt and uh, speed mm -hmm. up the, let's say, the uh, future future development. Okay. 
Um, and, and can you give us a, a, a bit of an overview? What are the different product groups? How many are there? How big are they? Um, yeah, we, and, uh, we, we give a bit of a vision. Yeah, look, oh, that was one example is one of the one of the product groups. But, but we have, uh, let's say, the product groups are within, uh, let's say, areas of the of the business, right? So we have a store team that deals with mm -hmm. all the technology in the, in the store. Right, so you have POS, you have the, the WMS, you have you, everything that happens with the with the with the store. You have a core processes team, so HQ processes team, which deals typically with um, with ERP, right, and and around uh, uh, ERP. You have communications team, which deals with tools, you know, for the communication uh, in a, in a company between the different groups, and uh, we, you ha you have these. Um, apps-related team, which deals with all the applications on all the platforms. Uh, mm -hmm. These are, you know, obviously you have security, or you have uh, cloud infrastructure, network infrastructure, infrastructure all these yeah, yeah. underlying teams yeah. which run across all the product teams in a way, right? Uh, because they, they yeah. provide services to all of them and all the company. Uh, so in a way, it's, uh, you know, this way of thinking first enabled us to shorten the time to market for us. Uh, secondly, it gave us better coordination and ownership uh, among the people, mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, it decreased the cost as well. Uh, we all we have teams that are internal, but we also outsource. So part of the, let's say, resources uh, within all the teams is in a way outsourced, right? So we, we do not insource everything. We we use software houses sometimes. We use some technology providers. Uh, because we want, in a way, to control, we don't want to hire too many people uh, in yeah. uh, areas where maybe it don't make sense to hire them for only for, you know, several months, right, only. And uh, with okay. that, we have uh, around a few hundred, uh, around 200 people uh, in the core team uh, inside of the company, mm -hmm. and we have several hundred additional ones that work outside. Okay, and... and, and so you have one person leading the technology yeah, exactly. department. So like we have a CTO, right? CTO uh, type of uh, CTO is running, uh, and and that's uh, all technology, yeah. including uh, store technologies and yeah. uh, and, and so yeah. On. And so, what is your role then today? And what has it been in in this this last five years? Your role has changed. You started as as a very cost conscious uh, CFO, I can imagine. Uh, if you come from private equity and you have to uh, look at, at the investment that you've done, but now, and then you were leading, I think, the digital transformation. And, and what are you doing today? Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about your role? In yeah. You know, I wasn't a very typical CFO because uh, as an investor, uh -huh. you have to be an optimist because your job mm -hmm. is to take risk and get rewarded by the risk. So, you know, in a yeah. way, you have to be an optimist to take risk, right? Otherwise, you only see risk and would not be able to take it. So not be a, you're not going to be able to be a successful investor if you're, if you're a pessimist, right? While some CFOs are, you know, pessimists, right? So with that in mind, I always have this element of, you know, building for the future and not only kind of focusing on the cost. But obviously, in the first period, mm -hmm. we had to kind of Clean, clean the house first, right? So, so that was my my job to 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 facilitate and and lead that. Over time, I've added the second leg of the development role. So, I had a CFO role and a development role, where I was, uh, you know, in a way, I was leading this uh, digital teams and data teams. And uh, mm -hmm. now, starting from 2021, so a year and a half ago, 
as uh, MD of Jabka Future and uh, when we created this business unit, I'm uh, solely focused on building, as we call it, second leg or second, you know, additional legs uh, of the growth for, for, our, for our group, right? So I'm focusing on how to build businesses uh, beyond our core um, core Jabka Polska business, so a core convenience business mm -hmm. in Poland. And I have, uh, you know, I have first focused a lot on building this digital ecosystem uh, that complemented the physical part because I believe that this is the way, you know, to go about, uh, you know, about consumer going forward. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking what I do next. And, um, and, you know, there, there are many kind of uh, avenues that I can take. Uh, one of them is international, for example, right? One of them is something could, uh, uh, that we could do outside of Poland, right? We have, we have I think, very uh, uh, excellent business in, uh, in Poland. But, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, if you think about the longer term uh, for a group like ours, such a dynamic uh, company, you know, the obvious question that uh, comes to mind is, can you replicate uh, some of that uh, outside of Poland? This is something that, you know, I've been spending uh, quite yep. a bit of time. So you spent your time trying to figure out how can we grow the business, either with new services and, and creating more convenient services to the clients, like the direct business that you've done, what companies can we acquire and how can we, how could we uh, roll this out internationally and, and into the rest of, uh, of the world? Uh, organic or true acquisitions exactly. or, uh, or whatever. I mean, you, you have the best job in the company, right? Well, uh, I think that uh, one could say that, but also there is uh, a lot of uh, responsibility that comes with it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about it, all the things that I'm dealing with are new, young, uh, immature. So uh, in a way, there is a lot of, uh, in such a context, it's very difficult to predict the future uh, very well. So a lot of challenges that comes, and uh, with this, you know, privilege, there is a big responsibility, and uh, and obviously also uh, quite a lot of things to do. Uh, so Tomas, tell me your secret. I mean, to make uh, big transformations and big organizations, to innovate, uh, to bring out new business models and so on. You can only do this by by by. Uh, attracting the right people, by keeping the right people, by growing, by making your team successful. What is, what is your approach? How, what is your secret of success in managing successful teams? Look, I think uh, my formula is relatively simple. I think there are three constituents really uh, which are key to the success. Uh, on one hand, mm -hmm. it's to create a vision uh, and attract people, the best talent, so to, to that vision. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. The second is to remove the boundaries. So remove any showstoppers, any blockers from their road. And third is to align the interests so they're when we're successful, they're successful. And uh, we've three. The, I think these are the three only ingredients that are necessary to be successful. Uh, having said that, in each case, and, and it sounds relatively simple, but in each case. Uh, obviously, that means something else. The setup is different, and uh, and the playground is different, and the level of of of, uh, of difficulty is different. So yeah, let's talk about these three. I mean, how do you create and communicate a vision? What's what's give? Can you give an example of how you do that? Yeah, look, uh, for example, uh, for autonomous stores, right? Uh, I mean, when we started working on this in 2018, it was 
such a novelty that nobody understood the concept, right? Uh, it was mm -hmm. even difficult to, uh, you know, to inspire someone because it was such an uh, unknown, right, at, at that stage, right? So what we did is we went to the U.S. We seen the first Amazon uh, Go store that was out there, and I told them, look, I mean, look, feel the freedom of the consumer, right, when you enter such a store. We should, uh, you know, we should really look into this uh, because I believe that this freedom uh, plus some other benefits for the consumer, but also for the retailer from stemming from that innovation can be, can be great, right? Uh, over the longer period of time. And this is how it started, right? Uh, then, mm -hmm. you know, for other business, uh, let's say uh, quick commerce business, uh, we decided to brought, uh, bring in team of managers from the outside, from Asia. So these are Polish people mostly, uh, not only Polish, but uh, that, uh, that came to create this business with us uh, from mostly from another country, right? Why Asia? Because mm -hmm. obviously uh, Asia is a pioneer of Q-commerce, right? Uh, you know, it, it's actually the longest uh, since, uh, since, in, since in, it's been operating over there, right? Southeast Asia. So, yeah. so that's why we, we, we did that. We, we brought in people that you knew, understood that business much better than anyone that, uh, you know, just being uh, in Poland, right? And we created, you know, an incentive for others to, to join. Okay. The second ingredient of your management and leadership success is taking away boundaries for your teams. Can you give an example of uh, how you do that? Yeah, look... Uh, I mean, obviously, in no organization works uh, in a perfect way. There are always some wrinkles. Mm -hmm. There are always some, you know, interest, interest groups, etc. Uh, so, if my people convince me that there is a need for something with that from any asset, from anything from the organization, and they can't get it. That's my role to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, to effectively enable that for them, right? Uh, and that's yeah. what I do, right? That's why I, you know, I'm kind of the door opener, right? To someone that I know from the organization has uh, access to this asset or convince someone at the different levels of the organization to actually enable that access and the way how this can be accessed by someone from, uh, you know, work that it works in these younger, younger businesses. Okay. And the third aspect you said was aligning success and uh, personal success to, to business success. How do you do that? Well, we create uh, short and long-term incentives for people. Um, mm -hmm. It is something that our business philosophy to reward people for the job they're, you know, they're successfully do. Our uh, short-term incentive scheme, uh, it, well, our, our cash compensation is heavily skewed toward short-term uh, incentive schemes. So, you know, the bo annual bonuses uh, are probably on the bigger end, if not the biggest among the industry in Poland. And we also have mm -hmm. uh, for special uh, level of people, you know, longer term incentives as well. And uh, all of this is created so that we share the success in a way, right, with them. Okay. If I would go to the people that work around you for the last couple of years, and I would ask them what kind of leader that they are. What do you think that will say about you when you're not around? Uh, I hope uh, uh, only good things. But, but uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm joking. I mean, uh, as always, uh, 
you know, uh, there are good and bad parts of anyone, right? Anyone has, mm -hmm. uh, you know, stronger and weak, we, uh, and, and some weaknesses. So on a strong part, I'm, I'm sure they will say that I inspire them, that I help them to achieve what they want to achieve. Sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. against the odds, right? With some of these businesses or some of these initiatives. Uh, having said that, uh, on a, let's say, more negative side, sometimes I'm impatient. Sometimes I push people too much. Uh, and uh, that creates uh, some unpleasant discussion we might have. I have to very much okay. uh, control myself sometimes uh, to be able to, uh, you know, not to do it too much. Okay. Well, what you just described describes a little bit your, your personality. Uh, I think you shared with us that your MBTI personality type is you're in a commander, ENTJ, extroverted, intuitive thinking, judging personality. And these are typically people that are very decisive, who love momentum and accomplishment, and they gather information to construct the creative vision, but rarely hesitate for long before acting on them. So people with your personality, they, they can be efficient, energetic, self-confident, strong-willed, strategic thinkers, charismatic, inspiring, fits the bill, I would say. Yeah, it does. It does. But also there, is, there are some weaknesses, so it's not always rosy. Well, let's talk about them. <laughs> not only rosy, not only rosy. So, and, 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 and let's talk about how, I mean, you're still young, but you must have developed in a couple of areas. So if you could share with us... I'm going to name a couple of typical weaknesses for people with your profile. And if you could share with us how you have developed yourself. And, 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 and so people with your personality profile, they can be very dominant, stubborn. They can be intolerant, impatient, uh, up to being arrogant. They are not, I mean, they can be very poor in handling of emotion. They can be cold and ruthless. So you can't be all of these weaknesses. So, so how have you develop yourself and, and uh, to, to be successful as you are? Mo most of the stuff, uh, you know, fits the bill well. So, but uh, coming, uh, uh, coming to your question, um, I, I think it's about con control, self-control, right? And, uh, and, uh, and effectively detaching mm -hmm. yourself from the, from the moment, right? Taking the, you know, the, this proverbial deep breath and counting down, right? Uh, so that you don't act on the emotion, you try to kind of detach from the very particular moment and take a bit more time mm -hmm. to to digest uh, 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 the situation with your, let's say, slow thinking system, right? Because obviously the fast thinking system that you have in yourself is, is very dominant, right? It's very dominant. It, you know, it gets you, most of the time, it gets you where you want. So you, tip, you tend to over-rely on it because it works, right, from the, you know, from the experience. So in the situations that uh, are um, problematic, let's call it this way, the, my idea mm -hmm. is to stop relying on my fast thinking system and just take a deep breath and uh, think, think okay. this through. Because otherwise I can act too fast too, you know, in, a, in a bad way, right, uh, as well. I could... Uh, Create a very unpleasant uh, situation for for myself and for someone. Yeah. And how did how did you learn that? Just by doing it, or did you go to a training, or you went into I don't know? You had a had a coach that helped you with this. How how do you how do you organize your own professional development? Look, I tend to read a lot uh, uh, mm -hmm. on that. I I I'm always loved reading uh, in you know 
all the aspects. So I tend to read a lot. I used to have a coach, but it didn't work out for me. I, I didn't like it actually, honestly. <laughs> uh, it was too slow, and uh, I, you know, I had a coach, but uh, but I couldn't work, make it work. Maybe I should come back to it one day. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I tend to uh, self-reflect as well, right? So I tend to kind of mm -hmm. uh, think about the past moments and analyze them and uh, uh, and see what I could do differently. And that's my general conclusion. What I told you from from yep. these moments, right? That you know, sometimes I feel uh, bad about acting uh, some way, uh, and uh, when you kind of add together, you know, all these moments, you can conclude that perhaps you know, acting too fast is is not is not great. I also talk to people yep. quite a bit, uh, not formal coaches, but you know, some uh, people with uh, more experience, uh, more life experience as well. And, uh, and that uh, teaches me quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Who are the people that you look up to? Do you have mentors that helped you? You look up to public figures that inspire you? Can you, can you maybe mention a, uh, a few? Yeah, look, uh, there is nothing, nobody I could, you know, it would be nobody that is uh, internationally recognized that I could quote directly, mm -hmm. but generally, I very much uh, look at the people that have been successful in certain areas, not only in business, but also outside of business, scientists, uh, people uh, who were able to achieve something against the adversary or, uh, you know, in the difficult conditions. And uh, I then try to understand why they were successful and what, what made them, uh, you know, successful. And, uh, and this is something that, uh, that I do. I mean, of the people that uh, I, really, uh, I really like, there is uh, one famous book that a lot of people read, and it's about, uh, it's a 100-year-old history. Uh, the book is called Endurance. And it's about the trip to the South Pole and uh, mm -hmm. the, how the leaders were able to save everyone at this ball, despite, despite all the adversary, because the way they acted. It's a, it's a fant I don't want to, you know, if someone didn't read it for, cert for whatever reason, please do. So I'm not going to tell, you know, most about it. But the story is amazing. It's true. It's an amazing story. And I think it's a, it's a testament that strong leaders who maintain positive despite all the facts that are around them can actually uh, create a miracle, which the, this whole story was. So let's go one level uh, deeper, uh, Tomas. You, uh, you um, shared with us that you have a family, two boys, eight and, uh, and 11 years old. Uh, so uh, young children. What are the uh, what are the values that you're passing on to your to your sons, and what are the core values that you live by yourself? Yeah, to me, uh, I think the most important value that I that I actually use is hard work. Right, that the, without mm -hmm. the hard work, the talent will not get you anywhere. I know plenty of super talented people uh, that failed or didn't achieve to their potential because of lack of hard work. So I think that's something that, you know, that I, I'm trying to pass to my kids, right? You, 
you can be talented in any area. You can be ahead of the others at any particular moment. But without hard work, it's something it's, you, you'll not be successful. And it's very difficult, in my mm -hmm. view, uh, especially with the younger generation these days that are very, uh, they want to, to see the result, uh, results very, very fast, right? So th yeah. that's something that I do. And the second one is integrity. Right. I, I kind of am person that uh, um, sometimes maybe overly so, but not holding back uh, what I think. And I, and I, and I you know, die by the sword that I have sometimes. Uh, but effectively, I think that's also very important to, in, a, in an environment that is changing so fast, uh, in a business environment that is uh, changing so fast, Mm -hmm. People need to act quickly, and in order to be able to do that, the communication has to be rather straightforward, more straightforward than not. That's why I'm kind of uh, okay. uh, trying to pass on to, 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 to my kids to communicate well, uh, to communicate in a straight way uh, with others, uh, because that's what it required to be successful. So, Thomas, you're very results-driven goal-oriented, hard-working, uh, driver of change and innovation. How, how do you relax? So when you get home in your private space and time, how do you get back uh, with your feet on the ground? I like to connect with nature. And my way of doing mm -hmm. that is cycling. So I, I cycle a lot. I uh, spend at least 10 hours per week cycling. Uh, so, and I've done that for the last five years before I did other things, but last five years is uh, a lot, uh, focus on the cycling. You know, I always like loved cycling, uh, but now there's this additional element that it cleans up, cleans my head. And as I said, I love the mm -hmm. nature. So it, you always are able to connect with nature from the bike a bit more than you are from the, you know, from the car, right? You are able to see more, you go to the mountains. You got you, you go to the where, whatever you want uh, with with the bike, and uh, that's what I do. Okay. And do you have a personal mantra, uh, Thomas? Uh, a saying that helps you in when you have to make decisions, difficult uh, situations, or whatever. I do not. I when I'm when okay. I have a difficult <laughs> uh, situation, difficult decision to do, I focus on my values. So I when I'm unsure mm -hmm. what I what to do, I really look at my deep values and try to kind of get the answer from there. Let's go uh, a little bit more maybe to your personal life, if, if, if you allow us. I mean, you're very, very successful. A lot of good things have uh, happened to you, but we all have our setbacks in life as well. So are there any things that have um, uh, helped you to develop as a, as, as, as a person? I mean, could you share with us what are some of the worst things that happened in your life and, and, and what you learned from them? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, worst thing that happened in my life. You know, I tend to, and there are a lot of things that happen in everyone's life, right? My, mm -hmm. uh, my kind of uh, idea behind, you know, how to go forward is to learn from it and then forget about it. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, yeah. life is full of disappointments. Uh, and if you spend too much time focusing on this, your baggage will go, it will grow too heavy for you, right? Yeah. So, but could you could you give an example? Yeah, look, uh, for example, uh, when I was working on some investments before, right? It wasn't always success. Mm -hmm. We had difficult situations. Uh, you know, 
not really our fault, but relating from the business environment in which these companies operated that uh, effectively uh, made us to do quite heavy restructurings uh, in the companies, yeah. change the strategy and prioritize short term as opposed to the long term, because that was, let's say, necessary for the company to survive. Right. Uh, so it wasn't always rosy. Uh, with Jabka also, when I came in, the situation wasn't ideal at, the fir at first, right? We were investors in Jabka. I was part of the supervisory board. And suddenly the company, let's say, sidetracked. Uh, that created uh, a lot of tension, a lot of uh, need for uh, immediate change, and a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is you know, what constitutes me now, not only the successes, but also these these failures, uh, in a way, that, uh, that we went through uh, and I went through. Okay. And then the, the flip side of that, what, what's the best thing that has ever happened to you? Uh, my family. My wife and my two kids. I mean, that's very easy to answer for me. I really think that mm -hmm. we together create a fantastic family. We try to develop our boys, uh, make them you know, discover the world and uh, be successful in their lives. But also we have fun, and uh, my wife is not only, uh, you know, my wife, but also my best friend. What is it that you fear most and love most in your life? Uh, what I fear most, that's a good one. You know, um, I don't fear really anything, like really, really badly. I fear a little bit for many different things. Actually, for all the things I'm doing, I'm like I'm worried. Uh, this weekend, I had to spend at work because there was some some problem with uh, one of the businesses that we have, um, and I always kind of worry about uh, about what's going to happen. But it's not like I'm worried and I'm paralyzed. Like I'm worried and I'm trying to fix things. Right? This is how I approach it. Right? So I worry about most of the things, but I try not any of these worries, not to consume me, not to paralyze me, not to make it so that I don't, can't make a decision. I, that's, that's my modus operandi. And what I love, I love for my, uh, you know, for my business to succeed in work. I love to mm -hmm. see my boys grow and uh, be successful in what they do. I love to see, you know, I love to travel as well. I love to, you know, spend time on the bike. I love many different things, right? Uh, I tried you know, despite some of the fact, my kind of personality factors to re remain a, a positive person, which not, is not always the easiest, as you know, my type. <laughs> if there is, I mean, you, you're clearly a very gifted person as well, but if you had to select one gift that you have received from the universe that helps you in your life, what is, what is your most important gift? Look, I always thought about myself, I don't have one single gift. Like, I'm good in a lot of things, mm -hmm. but I'm not great in anything. Uh, and I think that's the, the best gift, right? That I, I received a little bit of gifts in different areas. I'm good in analyzing things. I'm good in synthesizing things. I'm decent in communication, especially if I really focus on it. Uh, but mm -hmm. I'm not great in anything. The one thing I was great at, but I've lost it, is I had a super memory. I really had incredible memory. I could remember, I, I could tell you, when I was a teenager, I could remember 200 rolls of dice in a row. 
And I could tell you like roll, uh, rise, uh, roll number 57 was you know, a pair of six or whatever. So I, I really had this ability to kind of remember stuff. But you know, when I grow older, I kind of lost it because my mind uh, you know, developed in a different way. So that's that. <laughs> Tomasz, last question for this brilliant interview, thank you so much for it, is uh, if you would look back at your younger self when you're 25 or, or we look at the uh, young, ambitious, uh, future digital leaders, business leaders, what is the advice that you would give to these young people that they also can follow in your footsteps and become uh, successful? Two words, growth mindset. So to have mm -hmm. and to exhibit a growth mindset uh, attitude, right? This is the only thing that you need. Uh, once you have growth mindset, and you're able not only to rely on what's currently in your head, what's, what's, what skills that you have, but also rely on others. Rely on getting advice from others, changing the way you approach things. One thing that is certain in life, in life other than death, is change. Situation change, businesses change, environment change, and we have to be on top of it. And the only way to be on top of it is through growth mindset. That's it. Okay. And on that note, Thomas, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Looking forward to meeting you uh, soon when I'm over in, uh, in Warsaw. Uh, so uh, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Henrik. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>